In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States. One underappreciated moment from Tucker Carlson's recent interview with Vladimir Putin came after Putin implied that NATO powers were behind the 2022 bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline. Carlson responded by asking why Putin wouldn't present evidence of this to the world so as to, quote, win a propaganda victory. In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media, Putin replied, adding, The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. I don't know about the specific nature of his Nord Stream insinuations, but Putin is definitely correct about the strength of the American propaganda machine. Of all the fronts one could possibly choose to challenge the United States on, propaganda is surely the least favorable. The U.S. Empire has by far the most sophisticated and effective propaganda machine ever to have existed, operating with such complexity that most people don't even know it exists. In a fact-checking article titled Five Lies and One Truth from Putin's interview with Tucker Carlson, Politico Europe labels the above claim a lie on the basis that Russia has state-run media, whereas U.S. media is privately owned. The biggest news media companies are privately owned and operate without direct government control, in contrast to the state-controlled media landscape in Russia, writes Politico's Sergei Goryashko. Russian state TV and the primary news agencies there are the property of the government, and the Kremlin controls other media or destroys those not willing to collaborate. At the bottom of the article is a line which reads as follows. Sergei Goryashko is hosted at Politico under the EU-funded EU for Free Media residency program. EU for Free Media is a European Union narrative management operation set up to help integrate Russian journalists in exile into leading European publications, i.e. to provide maximum media amplification to Russian expats who have a bone to pick with the current government in Moscow. It is run with participation from Radio Free Europe slash Radio Liberty, a U.S. government-funded media op under the umbrella of the U.S. Propaganda Services umbrella USAGM. I really could not have come up with a more perfect illustration of what I'm talking about here than the U.S. government and its European lackeys running a complex and elaborate project to further slant European media against the Russian Federation, which then manifests as a Politico article calling Putin a liar and claiming propaganda does not exist in the West. There's an old joke that goes like this. A Soviet and an American are on an airplane seated next to each other. Why are you flying to the U.S.? asks the American. To study American propaganda, replies the Soviet. What American propaganda? asks the American. Exactly, the Soviet replies. In reality, the nature of the U.S. centralized empire allows it to run a massive, non-stop international propaganda campaign through mass media platforms which are mostly privately owned. A diverse network of factors feeds into this dynamic which I've detailed in my unusually lengthy article 15 Reasons Why Mass Media Employees Act Like Propagandists. But the gist of it is that anyone who's wealthy enough to control a mass media platform is going to have a vested interest in preserving the status quo upon which their wealth is premised, and they will cooperate with establishment power structures in various ways toward that end. 
The fact that these mass media outlets look independent but function as propaganda organs for the U.S. empire allows its propaganda to fly into people's minds without triggering any gag reflex of critical thinking or skepticism, which wouldn't be the case if people knew those outlets were feeding them propaganda. Propaganda only has persuasive power if you don't know it's happening to you. The invisibility of U.S. propaganda is further aided by the subtle methods by which it is administered, which we've seen exemplified beautifully in the coverage of Israel's ongoing U.S.-backed mass atrocity in Gaza. In an article titled Coverage of Gaza War in the New York Times and Other Major Newspapers Heavily Favored Israel Analysis Shows, The Intercept reports that a review of 1,000 articles from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Los Angeles Times about Israel's war on Gaza found that the outlets consistently used word choices which served Israeli information interests. Highly emotive terms for the killing of civilians like slaughter, massacre, and horrific were reserved almost exclusively for Israelis who were killed by Palestinians rather than the other way around, the Intercept's Adam Johnson and Othman Ali report. The term slaughter was used by editors and reporters to describe the killing of Israelis versus Palestinians 60 to 1, and massacre was used to describe the killing of Israelis versus Palestinians 125 to 2. Horrific was used to describe the killing of Israelis versus Palestinians 36 to 4. This is the sort of manipulation that a casual news consumer wouldn't notice. Unless you're on alert for bias and are keeping track of what words are and aren't being used, you're probably not going to notice the absence of emotionally charged words when reporting on Palestinians who are killed by Israelis. This type of slant shows up in all sorts of ways, like today's headlines about the IDF killing a six-year-old Palestinian girl named Hind Rajab along with her family. Reliable propaganda organs of the empire like CNN, the New York Times, and the BBC have respectively gone with the headlines... Five-year-old Palestinian girl found dead after being trapped in car under Israeli fire. Missing six-year-old and rescue team found dead in Gaza, aid group says. And Hind Rajab, six, found dead in Gaza days after phone calls for help. In contrast, Al Jazeera reports on the same story with the headline, Body of six-year-old girl killed in deliberate Israeli fire found after 12 days. And Middle East Eye goes with Hind Rajab. Palestinian girl found dead after being trapped under Israeli fire for days. It's easy to spot the difference when they're placed next to each other like I just did, but unless you're really watching out for it and have a good background on what's going on here, you're likely to miss what's happening. If you're like most people and don't read past the headline, you'd never know from the imperial media headlines that the child was killed by Israel and you'd certainly never know about her terrified phone call for help while trapped under IDF fire and surrounded by the bodies of her dead relatives. If you look to the legacy media and its algorithmically boosted online iterations for information about the world, you went one more day with a distorted perspective of what's happening in Gaza. The Western press constantly write headlines like this when trying to minimize the impact of someone's death at the hands of a party they sympathize with, particularly with regard to Palestinians. Last month, the BBC published an article titled Record Number of Civilians Hurt by Explosives in 2023, as though they were mishandling fireworks or something instead of being actively killed by Israeli bombs. The BBC later revised their atrocious headline, 
but revised it in the opposite direction, replacing record number with high number to further minimize the impact. Contrast this with the BBC's headlines when it's reporting on Ukrainians killed by Russian airstrikes. There's a recent one titled, Ukraine War, Russian Airstrikes Claim Five Lives in Kiev and Mykolaiv. Got it? In Ukraine, people die from bombs because Russia launched Russian airstrikes and killed them very Russianly. Whereas in Gaza, people get hurt by explosions because they got too close to some type of explosive material. Last week, the Washington Post ran an opinion piece titled, Is America Complicit in Israel's Bloody War in Gaza? Which is already a ridiculously skewed headline because the answer is self-evidently yes, implying that there's any question of this skews things in America's favor. But even this was too much for the Post's editors, who retitled the piece, Has the Israel-Gaza War Changed Your Feelings About Being an American?, to keep Americans from keeping too hard about Israel's bloody war in Gaza and their country's complicity in it. In a Wednesday article titled, Biden Tries Again with Arab Americans in Michigan, New York Times editorial board member Farah Stockman wrote the absolutely insane line, The October 7th Hamas attack on Israel seems to be affecting Biden's election prospects. And then the New York Times actually printed it. Read that line again. She's saying Arab Americans are rejecting Biden because of the October 7th Hamas attack. Which is, of course, absurd. They're rejecting Biden because he's backing a genocide in Gaza. She wrote this nonsensical line because in the New York Times you can't say things like Israel's genocide in Gaza or the president's facilitation of crimes against humanity, and you won't be hired if you're the sort of person who'd be inclined to. Instead, we're pretending that for some inexplicable reason, Arab Americans are just hopping mad at Biden because October 7th happened. But again, these little manipulations fly under the radar if you're not on the lookout for them. Such is the brilliance of the U.S. Empire's invisible propaganda machine. That's why it's very difficult to win a propaganda war against the United States. That's why Westerners have been so successfully manipulated into accepting a status quo of endless war, ecocide, injustice, and exploitation. And that's why the world looks the way it looks right now.